0: Welcome to the Disability Connection. I'm your host, Walter Nunes. The Disability Connection is produced by the Disability Law Center, and the Disability Law Center is the protection and advocacy system for the Commonwealth. Uh, we provide protection and advocacy services for people uh, with disabilities residing in Mass, and these issues include housing, employment, special education, and human rights issues in facilities and benefits. Uh, THE DISABILITY LAW CENTER'S WEBSITE IS WWW.DLC-MA.ORG, AND OUR TELEPHONE NUMBER IS 800-872-9992. TODAY I'M JOINED BY CAITLIN BYERS. CAITLIN IS A STAFF ATTORNEY AT THE DISABILITY LAW CENTER, AS WELL AS A PIKE FELLOW. CAITLIN, THANK YOU SO MUCH FOR JOINING US.
1: THANK YOU FOR HAVING ME.
0: SO, TODAY'S TOPIC IS GOING TO BE HOUSING. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you do at the Disability Law Center?
1: Sure, so I do a lot of work with evictions and uh, reasonable accommodations and reasonable modifications in the housing context, as well as subsidy terminations. Um, And we do a lot of short-term assistance as well.
0: Well, we're gonna get into reasonable accommodation and reasonable modifications, a term I just learned today. But I wanna just go back a little bit to talk about Subsidy terminations, what do you mean by that?
1: So some, a lot of people who are living in an apartment might have a Section 8 voucher, which is a voucher that will lower their rent for a market apartment that's mm-hmm. owned by a private landlord. Mm-hmm. Um, they might also live in public housing that's owned by the government. Um, but subsidy terminations usually occur in the Section 8 context. You know, if you're evicted or if you do something else that the housing authority thinks is a large violation of their terms, they might take your voucher away.
0: And um, other work that you do in addition to reasonable accommodation and modifications, retaliation against tenants?
1: Sure. Um, That usually takes place in the eviction context. So if you request a reasonable accommodation and the landlord doesn't want to provide it, they might try to evict you in retaliation. Um, Mm -hmm. But retaliation, in general terms, is anything that a landlord does to you that's bad, and they do it because you're exercising your rights under fair housing law.
0: So before we get on to reasonable accommodation and modification, um, you talk about disability-related evictions. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of folks who are watching today may not fully understand that. Could you put it in context of what we mean by a disability-related eviction?
1: Sure. So um, if you are being evicted for a reason that is related to your disability, such as you have... Um, a seizure disorder and you might um, have seizures which causes noise that bothers other tenants or Mm -hmm. maybe um, you or your child has autism and you make a lot of noise and that bothers other tenants or you say something that offends your landlord and that was because of your disability and your landlord takes one of these reasons and decides to evict you that would be an eviction based on your disability.
0: And oftentimes when the eviction and this also occurs in the employment context When the basis for the eviction is disability related, it might provide the opportunity for the individual with the disability to raise a request for a reasonable accommodation or a reasonable modification.
1: Sure, so a reasonable accommodation is just a change to a rule or a policy. So say you are being evicted because you can't pay your rent in the way your landlord wants you to pay it. So you need to mail it and they really want you to hand deliver it, just a silly example. But if you're evicted for that reason, you could ask for a reasonable accommodation which would be a change to that rule so you could pay rent in a different way um if we go to my noise example from earlier um, you could request a reasonable modification maybe soundproofing your apartment would solve the problem for other tenants Um, and then the problem that was causing your eviction would no longer be an issue
0: so uh, as you instructed me earlier today an accommodation is just that something that makes completing a task easier whereas a modification may include structural changes in the apartment.
1: Yeah so an accommodation is a change to a rule or a policy or a procedure just you know the way things are normally done Um, and service animals are a big example there can be a no pet policy but you can still have a service animal. Mm -hmm. A modification is usually a change to the actual premises so a ramp or you need to widen the doorways or lower the cabinet something like that.
0: And these again are all linked back to a disability for example I've Recently worked on a case where a person had multiple chemical sensitivities, Mm -hmm. and they were seeking um, filter system in their apartment. That would be a modification.
1: Uh, That one, sort of. Yes, that's not. It's a little bit different than the normal examples because it's not a change to the actual apartment. I see. But it's also not a change to a rule, so it would be probably fall under the use modification umbrella instead.
0: And sometimes when the modification when the person has a disability and there's some either behavioral or unmet need which is causing the landlord to become frustrated and they seek to go litigious route um, how does that play out
1: so usually if the landlord doesn't like a behavior of the tenant they'll try to evict them and you'll, the first thing you get is a notice to quit which is just a notice that your landlord's evicting you Um, And the best thing to do at that time, if you think that it's something that you could fix with a reasonable accommodation or a reasonable modification, is to request that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the best way to request a reasonable accommodation or modification is in writing, just so there's a record. Under the law, it's not technically required, but I would always advise people to put their request in writing, give it to their landlord, and to get a letter from their doctor that establishes that they need the reasonable accommodation or modification because of their disability.
0: I don't want to completely get off reasonable accommodation. I know we're going to talk about the eviction process and things that people can Mm -hmm. do as they go through that. Um, We hear a lot about service animals and emotional support animals Mm -hmm. and that people seeking, I'm guessing a modification by being able to have a pet in the apartment if there's That would
1: be an accommodation because it's a change to a rule. Um, All right. So a lot of landlords, and you'll find this a lot in the Boston area as well, have a no pet rule. Um, which is perfectly fine, but they can't have a no-pet rule against service animals or emotional support animals. So
0: what's the difference between a service animal and an emotional support animal?
1: Um, I mean, it's, it's more of a vernacular difference rather than a legal difference, but generally when you say service animal, people are thinking of like a guide dog or a dog that detects seizures, a dog that's been through a or another animal that's been through a specific training program that makes them qualified to do a specific task. Mm -hmm. Um, Emotional support animals don't need specific training. Um, An emotional support animal is just an animal that provides needed emotional support to a person with a disability um, that alleviates their symptoms in some way. So it's really common for people with mental illness or for people who are going through a very difficult disease and they might need support to get through it. Um, And those animals you Really, they're, not, they're just animals that meet a need that they have. It's more about the person than the animal itself. So they
0: could be a dog or a cat or sure. a parakeet?
1: I, I've seen emotional support ferrets um, I've, that you've seen in the news. They're ridiculous stories sometimes. But, I mean, the bottom line is the animal has to be well-behaved, and it can't um, directly threat anyone else or the property of the landlord, but it can really be any kind of animal.
0: But this is a really, really important issue, and I know that... As we age, we are not necessarily considered a person with a disability, although sometimes people, um, as they age, uh, acquire disabilities. But I can't help but thinking of, uh, of support, emotional support animals, just to deal with loneliness.
1: Yes. I mean, you could argue that anyone gets emotional support from any pet that they have, but the difference between a pet and an emotional support animal is an emotional support animal is recommended by a doctor. You can't just go to your landlord and say, this cat provides me with emotional support and therefore I need to have it, and it's the law. You really have to have a documentation from your doctor that says this person has a disability and they need this animal because of their disability.
0: And that's true of any modification or any accommodation. Yes. Does the law require that you provide uh, medical support or is it just a good practice?
1: Um, Yes and no to both of your questions. Um, It's always a good practice. I would always recommend it. Uh, if it's an obvious disability, you don't need to provide medical documentation. So if you're very obviously blind, you don't need to get a letter from your doctor saying that you're blind. Mm -hmm. If you very obviously use a wheelchair, you don't need to get a doctor's letter saying that you use a wheelchair. But it's often useful for people who don't have as obvious disabilities or for people where the connection between the accommodation or modification and the disability is not quite as clear. So... Such as? Such as an emotional support animal. Um, Well I mean that would be an invisible disability usually as well Um, but let's say you're very obviously a wheelchair user you don't need to verify that but you might need to verify that you can't walk at all or that you can't walk enough to walk through a doorway if your request is that you need wider doorways.
0: Or if you needed to be closer to where you parked your car for example.
1: Yeah a lot of people have mobility disorders and need to be able to be closer to the exit or closer to their car and need specific parking spots, that's very common.
0: So we're always conscious about time, but I don't want to get off this topic if there's more that you think we should touch on regarding reasonable accommodation modification with respect generally or with respect to service animals.
1: Um, I would just say generally, like I said, best practice is to put it all in writing. And once you do that, your landlord has an obligation to engage in the interactive process with you and if you have problems, if your landlord just says no and won't do it or denies it flatly without having a conversation with you about it, then you should definitely call the DLC to see if we can help you.
0: Okay, so if, um, and, and one way, we're getting back to evictions here, a landlord may start the eviction procedure over a dispute over a reasonable accommodation or an emotional support animal or Uh, what have you. So if you are facing eviction, and I think we've started this conversation, but just to go back to the beginning, what's the first thing that happens?
1: The first thing is you'll get a notice to quit, ideally. um, Sometimes landlords try to circumvent the legal process, but a landlord can't just go to your door and tell you to get out. They have to go through the legal process. So if they're doing it properly, The first thing you'll get is a piece of paper that says that your tenancy will be terminated in either 14 or 30 days, depending on the type of eviction.
0: So they can't lock you out, for example?
1: Exactly. That's illegal.
0: That's big time illegal, right? Yes. If that
1: ever happens, you should call a lawyer, you should call the police. That is not at all legal.
0: Um, When you receive the notice to quit, we're both attorneys and we're always going to encourage people to seek legal counsel but with a notice to quit that may be an opportunity to have a conversation with your landlord
1: absolutely so um, if it's a no-fault eviction that's just the landlord saying i want you out for no particular reason i'm not sure how far you're going to get by talking to the landlord but if it's a fault-based eviction and you think that you can fix the problem that they're complaining about like if you are overdue with your rent and you can pay the rent or if they're saying that you're being too noisy and you either can stop being so noisy, or you can request a reasonable accommodation to fix the noise. Absolutely. Have a conversation with your landlord and see if you can figure something out.
0: And just to be clear, and I don't think we've discussed it, um, a no-fault eviction might be simply that the landlord wants to sell the house or Mm -hmm. move his brother-in-law into your apartment, right?
1: Exactly. That can only happen for tenants at will, which means they don't have a lease. If you've signed a lease, you can't be evicted for no fault, at least until your lease expires. Um, But if you are just living month to month and there's nothing in writing, you can be evicted just because the landlord wants to move their brother in line.
0: And just because we're lawyers, if your lease expires, that is not an eviction at all. That's simply they're not renewing your lease.
1: Well, I mean, if they're not renewing your lease, um, they could either go month to month with you and you could stay as a tenant at will. Or if they do want you out, they would have to start the legal eviction process. Okay.
0: So we're clipping right along here. So let's kind of... You know we're here in the city of boston housing prices are at a premium for everyone for persons with disability for persons without so i think this is really helpful information for people to know and if you would just kind of talk through the process and where people can take steps to to better their own situation
1: sure so we talked about notice to quit um so once that well you should talk to your landlord during that time and if you figure something out with your landlord it stops nothing's been filed in court no one knows about it except for the two of you and you know their lawyer but it's not official yet Um, but if you don't the next step is you would get what's called a summons and complaint so you get it after the notice to quit expires either 14 or 30 days depending on what the notice to quit says Um, and it's just a copy of what is going to be filed in court Um, and then a week after that the landlord can file that in court Uh so uh, and then a week after they filed in court, your answer is due as well as any discovery that you want to request.
0: And as we're certainly not all as knowledgeable as you are, myself included, so let's, what, is this, what is an answer? What does that mean?
1: It is what it sounds context? like. It's responding to the claims made against you in the um, complaint. So if the complaint's no fault, you're not defending yourself against anything, but you might say that... Um, You know, you can't evict me because you're actually doing this for a discriminatory reason. This is, you know, pretext. Or you can say, you can't do this because you mishandled my security deposit. Those are called counterclaims. Um, And they can also, some of these things can also be raised as defenses. But in a fault-based, you can say, you say I'm too noisy. I'm not actually noisy. Things like that. Um, And you can also um, request a stay of execution in a no-fault case, which is, yes I understand you're evicting me and there's nothing I can do about it but I need more time.
0: Great and and I don't have the number posted but I I'm just thinking there might be folks watching who might want to call in usually it's posted I don't know if they can put it on the screen if they can that would be a really good idea um and if we get a phone call we'll do our best to answer it well actually Caitlin will do her best to answer it uh Discovery what's Discovery?
1: Discovery is a way that you can get information from your landlord. So if it's a no-fault eviction, but you think that they're evicting you for a reason, a specific reason, you can ask them specific questions and they have to answer them under oath, just mm-hmm. like they were on the stand.
0: And that goes both ways. The yes. landlord can ask uh, for discovery so that you have to provide certain information. Yes. The tenant would have to provide certain information. And when dis- when the process of discovery is Uh, Brought into play does that extend the timelines or change the timelines in any way? Yes,
1: so usually um, the trial is scheduled just a few days after your answer is due So you file your answer usually on a Monday and you're usually in court on a Thursday But if you request discovery you get two extra weeks so that there's time for both parties to respond
0: And you know as a bit of a disclaimer, we're not in any way encouraging anyone to uh, to seek discovery when they don't have any reasonable questions to ask, but it is important to know that if you need more information, you will have time to to acquire that information. Fair enough? yes. Good. Um, And we already mentioned, you know, uh, for disability-related evictions, uh, the Disability Law Center is a great place to call. If folks are facing eviction in the city that is not disability related, are there agencies who might be of some assistance to them?
1: Yes, if you're in Boston, uh, Greater Boston Legal Services does a lot of work on evictions and you can reach them through their intake line which is LARC, the Legal Advocacy Resource Center.
0: Great, so that's LARC. i I'm sure they wouldn't mind getting some more business. Uh, Getting back to the process of eviction, so we've come up to the point where Uh, You've given your answer, you've sought discovery, you've received the discovery. What then?
1: Then you have a hearing. You go into court and each side presents their case. The landlord says why they should be able to evict you. You say either these are the reasons that you shouldn't be able to evict me or I understand you're evicting me but I need more time Um, and the judge makes a decision.
0: And does the judge make the decision right on the spot?
1: Occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually judges like to take it under consideration and they'll send it a little later. Um, but regardless, even if they made it right there, it wouldn't go into effect until the next day.
0: So we've got about five minutes to talk, which is a lot of time in the television world. but so if, if the judge makes the decision, um, what and in, in, in the judgment is against the tenant? is does possession take place at that time or is Not immediately.
1: No. They have a 10 day appeal period, so if you think that the judge made Um, legal mistake you can appeal to the you know next set of judges and they'll review it and see if there was a mistake made Um, if you don't want to appeal it then the landlord can request a execution uh, after the appeal period is over so about 10 days and then if the judge says yes here's your execution the execution is the piece of paper that they can give to a sheriff and then the sheriff can move you out of your apartment
0: now in and this is your area of expertise, not mine, but in cases where a person has a disability and it's a no-fault eviction, can they seek a stay of execution?
1: Absolutely. In fact, you can seek a stay of execution no matter what. But people with disabilities um, can get a longer period of time. So I should clarify, you you can only get a stay of execution in a no-fault or a non-payment of rent case. You can't get it if you're being evicted because you use illegal drugs, for example. Um, but if it's no fault or if it's a, uh, a non-payment, you can say, Your Honor, I understand that I'm being evicted and there's nothing I can do about it, but I need some extra time. If you, are, if you have a disability, it can be up to a year. For everyone else, it's up to six months.
0: And what would, what would be the reason that the judge would give the tenant a year? I mean, obviously, the landlord wants you out for a particular reason. They've made their case. They've convinced the judge. The judge says, you're right, Mr. or Mrs. Landlord but the tenant gets another year. What are some of the factors that go into that decision?
1: So let me just say at the beginning, it's very rare for a judge to give that much time. Judges are usually very stingy with stays of execution. Conservative, and, I think is yes, the word. Yes, and they'll give it you know, a couple weeks or a, couple, a month or so at a time. Um, but a person with a disability might get an extended period of time if their disability is going to make it substantially harder for them to move or to find a new apartment. So if they need specific Um, accessibility features in their apartments and they're just you can show in court that there's aren't a lot of apartments available in the city that have those features you might get more time just to accommodate the fact that it's going to be harder for you to find a place
0: so using words like accessibility and accommodate what we could be talking about is the tenant who uses a wheelchair
1: sure so if a tenant uses a wheelchair they really need a, a wheelchair accessible apartment that has you know a ramp and an elevator and lower cabinets and wider doorways those apartments are not as common in the city as other kinds of apartments, so they might need more time to find it.
0: Does the um, cost of an apartment weigh into this at all?
1: Not usually. I mean, you can add it into your argument and say that the only wheelchair accessible apartments cost four thousand dollars a month, and you don't make that much, and the judge might consider that. But usually, a judge isn't going to say isn't going to give you a state of execution just because you don't have a lot of money.
0: I see. Um, we're pretty much at the end of this show I think this was terrific I was going to I think we could just for a minute just touch on your interesting new development something about uh, new rules about smoking not permitted in public housing
1: yeah so I don't have any particular legal advice to give about this I just think it's interesting there's been a new rule in public housing that no smoking is allowed and there's been um, a conflict between people with disabilities, some who smoke and some who don't want to be around smoke, about that issue. Um, so.
0: And this could result in a, for- a fault tr- eviction, it yes? It could,
1: yes. And that's a concern of people with disabilities who do smoke who can't get outside because they're worried that this habit that they've always had and they've always been able to. Um, TO DO IN THEIR HOMES, THEY WON'T BE ALLOWED TO DO ANYMORE.
0: I THINK IT'S EXTREMELY INTERESTING.
1: BUT ON THE OTHER SIDE, THERE ARE PEOPLE WITH DISABILITIES WHO ARE EXTREMELY HARMED BY CIGARETTE SMOKE. So
0: NO QUESTION ABOUT IT. AND I THINK IT'S IMPORTANT THAT we, AT LEAST WE GOT A CHANCE TO ADDRESS THAT AND IT TIED IN WITH THE REST OF THE DISCUSSION. WHAT I'D LIKE TO SAY IS THAT THIS PROGRAM, THE DISABILITY CONNECTION, IS AVAILABLE WITH CLOSED CAPTIONING ON YOUTUBE, VIMEO, AND as A PODCAST ON ITUNES. Um, YOU CAN VIEW THIS ON THE DISABILITY. Law Center's mobile app, and you can find out and at iOS. I don't even really know what iOS is, but I was told to say that. Um, But details regarding all of this is available on our website, which again is www.dlc-ma.org. Caitlin, it was a pleasure to have you. It was a great and informative show. Thank thank you you very very much.